opposing the, the government and opposing the Conservatives, and the fray is the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. We don't think anybody should be surprised that that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any dissent whatsoever. Well, we know who the hard left are, who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right, too right wing. It's a hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation, sort of hard left wing position. Hard sort of left. Just hard left to the hard left. The hard left, the hard left, the hard left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 the hard left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, hard left, As of the moment, Donald Trump's latest tweet at 10 p.m. on election evening, we were at 97% win with the so-called bookies. <laughs> the so-called bookies it's such a baffling tweet on so many levels they're uh, not they're not really gambling parasites <laughs> you know <laughs> they pretend to be these upstanding members of society the people who i exploit <laughs> gambling addicts by playing a game of chance uh but they're actually charlatans wow now i love <laughs> Love it. Trump. Yeah. Uh, what was it I was saying was Trump at his best the other day? It was some something you told me about. <laughs> you messaged me saying... Something. Oh, was it when he, he... Well, he's still threatening to veto the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act. Is oh, that the one that you're talking about? What, the thing that's like... It, is it a massive expansion of the military budget? Well, it, it is the budget, basically. Ah. It's like saying I'm not going to renew the budget for the army. Again, like, obviously he's just, like, being an asshole, but I do also agree with it <laughs> in terms of <laughs> the actual, like, sure. end result. It would be ironic. Well, there are two kind of right-wing reasons he's doing it. First one is the thing he's saying the most is, of course, that thing about Section 230, trying to change how the internet works because he's whining about Twitter being mean to him, basically. Oh, really? Um, That's interesting. Yeah, what it does is Section 230, it makes it so that you couldn't sue Twitter because of something that Donald Trump tweeted, essentially. And so getting rid of that means that Twitter will either have to literally approve every single tweet that's sent around the world or close shop. Wait, so so what? It would make people legally accountable for their own tweets, rather? But uh, aren't people legally it, accountable it, right, for their tweets any for what they say? No, or... the opposite. Right now, yeah. Right now, currently, if you tweeted, I'm going to murder somebody x person you know like then that would you could be legally accountable for that but twitter cannot and what trump wants to do is make it so that twitter is legally accountable for what you post on twitter i understood it the wrong way which like under normal circumstances (laughs) obviously i'm all for regulating private companies and everything but it's not gonna work out like that he thinks that it's going to make it so that he can tweet whatever he wants and he won't get those little fact check labels anymore. That's oh, yeah. that's why that's what he's complaining about basically. That's the whole issue. Uh <laughs> What it actually means is that if Twitter can get sued over literally every little thing that happens on their website, then they're going to stop letting people post things, you know? Uh, you like know, it's you... going to be the end of Twitter basically, which maybe not a bad thing, but well, you know, I have noticed recently that Twitter has a clear political bias in favour of, well, shall we say, the hard left. 
I mean, for example, <laughs> whenever Donald Trump tweets that the last election was stolen from him, it has the little message you mentioned that this claim about election fraud is disputed. But when I mm. tweeted earlier today, 2019 election rigged. No, no such uh, uh, clarification was added by Twitter to the tweet. So uh, cle- clearly Twitter is just another uh, left-wing, probably Soros-funded, cultural Marxist enterprise to ensure that the left maintain the hegemony over every aspect of our culture that they currently control. I think you're really onto something there. It's frightening the uh, level of trust we put in Twitter. <laughs> I trust Twitter more than I trust my own mother. You know, I, I think Twitter is uh, it, it's a great institution. We bow down before it. We should let them rewrite the Constitution, actually. <laughs> well, that is the way that America's going, basically. It's going to be like, pri- yeah. pri- like you know, the, the proposition in California or whatever to fucking give Uber maximum rights being, like, literally yeah. written by an Uber executive. <laughs> That's the future of politics. Like, some rollerball shit. Corporations. It's horrifying. Yeah. Literally oh, corporate writing wars. legislation. Yeah. <laughs> there is that, the Section 230 thing. But there is also this NDAA includes instructions to re- rename the 10 u.s military bases that are still named after confederate generals oh right yeah and And that's another reason yeah trump wants to get rid of that because obviously he's a racist wow yeah i mean could you think of any british military bases that are named after enemies of the british government (laughs) yeah yeah when you put it like that because i mean if you want to say can you think of any places national landmarks and stuff in britain that are named after unreconstructed racist imperialists oh yeah yeah uh yes there's uh, quite a lot i mean we do have a guy forks night i suppose <laughs> he did try and blow up parliament but it's not really so much saying oh what a, what a great bloke. doesn't that traditionally involve burning an effigy of fox it does though? yeah yeah so it's not yeah. it's, it's, it's more, more it's pro more establishment akin, yeah it's more akin to say like the running of the jew slash the running of See, these are the bits we got to cut out where after making a fire joke, I'm just like, um. (laughs) Thank God for editing, right? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, When I've been editing, like, so many times that we're just like, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, yeah, good point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so annoying. That's why we don't go out live. But I find that when I am doing live stuff, like a live stream or an actual live event when those were still allowed to happen, I find it does put a bit of fire under my my ass, you know? I kind of get You know, I'm still stammering a bit, but I can kind of work it into the act. Sure, yeah, and the, the one time I did that election night live stream, I felt like basically I only spoke when I had something to say and I wasn't really searching for things to say with uh and uh, like I sometimes am, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, there were a few of us on that as well. It was kind of a revolving cast because I kept going mm. out for zoots for like ages <laughs> and just leaving, uh, being like, now that there's two other real politic hosts on this call, I'll <laughs> see you guys in a little bit. <laughs> exactly. I don't really rate Sam Mendes. He's never captured me as a director, but then on Wikipedia it says I've only ever seen two of his films, which are American Beauty and Skyfall. 
Uh, right. So yeah, I've seen those. Sure. Never really stuck out to me as somebody who. American Beauty always seemed not necessarily totally terrible as a film, but like definitely way overrated. It's one that I think has aged badly. Oh god, yeah. Become (laughs) an object of ridicule now when even probably like a decade ago it was really, really well regarded as basically a classic. Yeah. Uh, I was saying to you the other day it's that is one of it is one of like the most cancelled movies. Yeah, yeah, totally. You look at some of the movies that Kevin Spacey was in in like the classic 90s period and it's like Seven as a twisted fuck who kills a bunch of people just like Kevin Spacey had Jeffrey Epstein killed (laughs) and then the usual suspects again a criminal mastermind hiding behind the scene also (laughs) hiding behind the scenes pulling the strings just like when Kevin Spacey killed Jeffrey Epstein and also that (laughs) film's directed by Brian Singer and then American Beauty, nonce. Like, it's just, uh, you know. <laughs> oh, sorry, and I forgot as well. L.A. Confidential, where he plays a bent <laughs> cop. Not, sorry, bent in the British sense of corrupt. Uh, well, even more recently with Baby Driver. Absolutely. But, I mean, in L.A. Confidential, the thing that his bent cop does is stitch up closeted gay men. <laughs> <laughs> in House of Cards, he plays this greasy fucking criminal. Yeah, like, I watched some pretty shitties, 90s, like, not even violent Tarantino rip-off called The Big Kahuna. Such a rip-off. Like, oh, they, me- they mentioned Big Kahuna Burger in uh, Pulp Fiction. Let's call our film Big Kahuna. Everyone will go and see it. He's in that, and I just, like, I was like, shit, do people actually, like, like this guy? I mean, yeah, he's he is a pretty good actor, but, like, it's weird that he became a star because he is just kind of creepy. I mean... Oh, yeah. He's got his line delivery is so weird, and he always comes across as like not nice, not likable. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> someone's got to play those roles, but weird guy. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think of people who have played creepy characters but don't seem like creepy people. Michael Shannon, I think, seems like a nice bloke. Yeah, I, I, I can't met, think well, of I... any reason he's cancelled. I mentioned earlier Jake Gyllenhaal was Shannon-esque in his Nightcrawl performance. Like, Michael Shannon, that's how inextricable he is with, like, creepiness on screen. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I've never got the sense that he's, like, a weird bad guy in real life or anything. Just a fine actor. Yeah, yeah. As far as I know, John C. Riley, kind of. Ah, oh, John C. Riley's a great bloke. I'm a hundred percent sure. Yeah. F- fuck you, Kevin Spacey. Fuck you, Kevin Spacey. Sorry, my dog's scraping the carpet and is really pissing me off. Let me put him out the room. <laughs> Come on, doggy. Hey. I'm just gonna run for a piss while I'm at it. Sorry, uh, man. One I'll do the same. Come on, dog. Come on. Ooh, I'm back. Approve it. Uh, prove it <laughs> go, what, you want me to go on cam uh, I want you to verify the signatures or I'm not accepting the results of this phone call I need to do an eyeball scan full audit <laughs> financial and otherwise <laughs> oh yeah I found out <laughs> I genuinely may watch this film but when I was looking at, at Kevin Spacey's discography 
I found that he directed a crime thriller in 1996 called Albino Alligator. <laughs> and uh, that was his directorial debut. It stars Matt Dillon, Faye Dunaway and Gary Sinise. Viggo Mortensen's in it as well. M. Emmett Walsh. Roger Ebert did say that no film starring M. Emmett Walsh, who, by the way, is still alive, can be altogether bad. So I'm expecting this to be a popcorn classic. <laughs> uh, oh, no, I thought it said the score was by R.E.M., but it's just it features an appearance by R.E.M.'s Michael Stipe, as well as uh. Flea and little Jimmy Scott. And there's this other film Kevin Spacey directed called Beyond the Sea, uh, a biopic of Bobby Darren. But that looks like one of those weird vanity projects that I've no interest in watching. But I'm kind of interested to see what he did as a director. He's not even in the film, but would would be good if he was in the film. It's like the pedo master some villainous character (laughs) (laughs) what could you do (laughs) as himself yeah (laughs) the epstein slayer Um, (laughs) he personally did it him and bill clinton (laughs) (laughs) did you know that at the labor party conference i believe 2002 bill clinton was the guest of honor and uh, he flew there in Epstein's jet with Kevin Spacey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, This is why I'm saying we need to just imprison every president for the last... uh, my lifetime, at least. Yeah, and you know what? That was a Labour conference, man, so I think the leader of the Labour Party... Including... ...needs to bear a certain amount of responsibility. We need to imprison H.W.'s remains in case he comes back. Absolutely, that fucking... Oh, man, I was listening to Patterson... You know, I told you about that Neil Young podcast I was listening to last night. Patterson Hood was actually a guest on the episode. I thought it was pretty cool to hear him talk about Neil. But at one point he was like, you know, I kind of have more respect for H.W. than I do for Reagan. Because at least H.W. was a real war hero. I was like, is that what you call killing President Kennedy? (laughs) Fucking hell, a real war hero. He was a fucking cia asset for like a decade or so and then literally became the head of the cia and then transitioned from cia to being a leading political figure i mean (laughs) it's government government by the security states (laughs) he is the swamp <laughs> I just Chapo Chap House have got this thing at the moment where they're talking a lot about how George H. W. Bush just like claimed not to remember where he was when JFK was killed or some shit like that. He denied knowledge of it despite being briefed about it in his capacity as a CIA asset. Anyway, we could get <laughs> we could get all into George H. W. Bush's CIA links, not particularly articulately at that, but I was just like fucking gutted to hear that from patterson i was like come on man i got all joe biden i was like come on man but there was one point where uh, the guys in the podcast were like neil goes out and campaigns for bernie because bernie fucking rocks and then the other guys who host it were like yeah bernie's great and one of them was like i've got my bernie poster right here and patterson hood just kind of was like yeah, he didn't like disagree. He didn't disagree. He's he uh, 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 said yeah to their endorsement of Bernie, but 
he didn't get too emphatic about it and it just made me think like yeah too shook to come out with your nonsense about how he's bad on gun control or whatever aren't you <laughs> motherfucker you're not gonna come he's scared of the bernie bros eh for the <laughs> for neologists slash bernie bros yeah they're gonna, they're gonna abuse him <laughs> How did we even get on to George H.W. Oh, Bush? Oh, yeah, you were saying that all American presidents should be in prison. Yes. Yeah, and basically I was saying that, yes, you're right about the American presidents, but also the leader of the Labour Party at the time needs to be held accountable for the paedophilic actions of his close friends Bill Clinton, Jeffrey Epstein, and Kevin Spacey. And that is yet another reason to send Tony Blair to the Hague. Yep, yep. One hundred percent. Reminds me of the bit in Brass Eye where the whole of Parliament is basically involved in the sex scandal involving animals that are procured <laughs> by somebody that in the Parliament. Uh, well, you know, Chris Morris was always ahead of the curve. He knew what was going on before it was fashionable to say. He, he... <laughs> Can I just point out this link? The Labour conference attended by Kevin Spacey and Bill Clinton and Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell was the year 2001. Brass Eyes Pedogeddon special Mm -hmm. aired in 2001. Almost like Chris Morris knew something and was trying to tell us. (laughs) I'm not saying he was part of a conspiracy, just that, you know, through working at... Actually, yeah. it wasn't even the BBC. It was... No, well, maybe he left the BBC, which he did the day-to-day for, because he found out about the vast paedophile conspiracy, and that's why he went to Channel 4, Channel I 4, I think, yeah. To or, do Brass Eye. Yeah. Not 100% sure, but... I'm 100% sure that everything I just said happened. 200. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, fuck, what else what else did i uh, have i seen watch the old uh jk rowling <laughs> detective series on <laughs> fucking iplayer what a load of absolute bollocks oh right by just describing it as absolute bollocks i've reminded myself of something else i watched christopher nolan's tenet <laughs> but uh, just just a little I'm bit sure on it was JK. excellent yeah, just a little bit on J.K. Rowling first. I mean, what do you need to know about her? She's an oblivious, rich, shit-for-brains moron. But she also still writes as a sort of hobby. <laughs> Not, doesn't need to make any kind of a living, but so she presumably does Well, she's not busy rough. kicking the ladder away. Yeah, 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 exactly. Obviously, I think her primary contribution to the world in the last few years has been, A, making sure that life is worse for everybody less fortunate than her by opposing the left b being a massive turf c being an obnoxious supporter of israel who says stuff like oh harry potter would be an israel supporter and d defending her good friend johnny depp until a uk court declared him uh, to be a wife beater at which point he was forced to exit the fantastic beasts franchise 
Although yeah. he still gets like 15 million quid or dollars from it. It's insane. They drew up this like insane contract for Johnny Depp, but it had no kind of moral clause, I think it's called, where like if he does terrible things and they have to sack him, then he doesn't get right. his money. It didn't, it pointedly didn't have one of those clauses. So <laughs> he got sacked for being a liability and they had to give him all the money anyway. <laughs> Which is like the equivalent of that insane Jeffrey Epstein legal deal that he did just before he <laughs> killed himself by Kevin Spacey. Uh, <laughs> <Killed>. It was... <laughs> it... <laughs> where it was just... It was like, by the way, because I've testified here, like, nobody who worked for me has to, or some, some insane <laughs> yeah. shit like that. It was the movie contract equivalent of that. Like, where uh, Epstein was in jail for for a while but he was on work release five days a week for like 10 hours a day yeah uh, yeah yeah exactly and was able to constantly evade any well constantly basically not be under house arrest he just yeah. go back and then go out and go to like the uh, eyes wide shut club or something <laughs> and then his fucking parole officer or whatever i guess would just be like oh well you know that's what? his opinion <laughs> and he's right thank you <laughs> pretty much (laughs) and i respect that but yeah the jk rowling series so like she still writes for fun uh she's not actually one of the Uh, both all right both the writers of this fucking show have clearly made up names and i'm pretty sure they're just jk rowling herself actually let me look what's it called Uh, strike the novels are written by jk rowling under the pseudonym robert galbraith okay i think ben richards was a real person (laughs) so ben richards wrote the first series and then for some reason in series two as well as then season three and four all the subsequent series are written by someone called tom edge who doesn't have a wikipedia page and i'm (laughs) i should say slightly convinced is jk rowling (laughs) tom edge come on like that's not a real name <laughs> yeah like there's interviews with him and stuff but i reckon jk rowling did them Pet actor. Like... no I, re- I think it was just like did you hear mark kozalek got kind of me too'd earlier in the year oh no i missed that so his album release was cancelled but anyway but back when people still wanted to interview him he'd always like be a prick to the interviewer and be like oh, i'll only answer questions via email which you know, it was his way of maintaining some kind of control over the interview, but is obviously terrible for the interviewer because you don't get any, like, personality. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's what I reckon J.K. Rowling did. <laughs> to, <laughs> so that Tom Edge <coughs> could do some interviews. Um, yeah, I was pretty disappointed, I have to say, by the TV series Strike, because it's not very political. Now, of course, I'm not expecting good politics. I was just expecting some goddamn politics. Any politics, yeah. Any politics. Just some, I was. I wanted some bad liberalism. It's like, we've got a podcast to do. I watched <laughs> the shit purely to talk about it with you on the podcast. And then I forgot about it in our last session because it wasn't notable enough. Now I've forgotten probably most of the funny bits. But we've probably talked before about how her fourth novel, Lethal White which sounds like a street name for the white meth 
that my gape sells in Gapecast, which is meth mixed with milk, as I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> but in uh, Lethal White Meth, the villain is like this <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn-style hard-left activist. He's like a young Corbyn. And obviously, being on the hard-left, he's an anti-Semite and a violent misogynist. Of course! <laughs> yeah, as, as all, all of us are. But the damn shame is that in the TV... And Nick Cohen, me and Nick Cohen see eye to eye on this, he said exactly the same in his otherwise glowing review of the fourth series of Strike. Um, (laughs) Basically, they cut out all the anti-Semitism stuff. Like, he's still a horrible misogynist cunt who beats women in it, but they seem to think that probably because in Britain, saying anti-Semitism is bad is basically a political attack on the Labour Party. <laughs> like, that's the only context anyone talks about, either anti-Semitism or any other form of racism in Britain. Yeah. So maybe the BBC were like, oh, hang on, you can't do the anti- you can't say anti-Semitism. Neutrality! Yes, we, we need to be uh, studiously politically unbiased. You cannot contradict the Labour Party's policy of uh, anti-Semitism. <laughs> <laughs> So they basically cut all the anti-Semitism stuff out, apart from this hilarious line, which isn't him being anti-Semitic, but it is something that no activist I know on the left would say, because you can say, oh, liberals obviously, they like to kind of act, quote-unquote, woke, but it's only really when it's politically convenient for them. Um, yeah. The left are <laughs> where you can find a swathe of genuinely politically correct people who kind of live and breathe the discourse that people on the centre have just appropriated to score a point against the left over anti-Semitism or over sexism. In left-wing circles, you would not get away with saying that a housing development project that is gentrifying your area, which is bad enough already, gentrification going on, is comparable to the way that Palestinians are being treated in the occupied territories. <laughs> <laughs> that would, You would have your comrades criticise you for being uh, uh, insensitive, for basically having an unconscious white supremacist bias where you see, you, know, you see that as comparable to a <laughs> racist occupation. You would not be able to make that comparison in a bit of left-wing rhetoric but obviously everyone's just like yeah fuck israel (laughs) all the stupid hard left morons that jk rowling depicts (coughs) sorry (laughs) tom edge depicts sounds like shit (laughs) it's total shit i really um wish i could remember more about uh lethal white meth but i i don't particularly Actually, I have remembered another pertinent bit from the fourth series, which is the private investigator guy. He needs to get some information on the hard-left trolls, so he goes to their secret bunker. No, he doesn't have to go all the way to St. Petersburg. It's in the UK. It's like a fucking rave place slash squat kind of thing. Like, totally archaic stuff. But he pays the hard-left thug at the door for information and the guy's like yeah i'll be a tenner mate and he gives him it and and then the fucking detective just absolutely rinses this guy he's like how's capitalism working out for you eh 
So it was literally a you use money and you call yourself a socialist fucking own in this series. So the third one just has such a bad title. Career of Evil. I mean, come on. That's like Bargain Basement, Steven Seagal. Yeah, it's like an airplane novel. <laughs> it's like one, it's like Steven Seagal movie that's shot in, like, Bulgaria. <laughs> and, and I think it's either that or the second one, The Silkworm, which is set in the publishing industry. And, I mean, I do not work in the publishing industry, but... You don't? No, I don't. But literature critics, you'll be surprised to learn, do. And so when J.K. Rowling published a book that was widely critical of the literary industry they all kind of said this is nothing like what it is like you don't have any experience of the literary profession since you got into it in like 1997 since then you've been kind of insulated at the top yeah yeah (laughs) and you don't know how it actually works anymore um that's that's, you know, I think right. it's something... It's like Steven Spielberg making a film about an up-and-coming director who's not had any hits yet. To keep up the problematic name drops, I think Yair's comment here reminds me of some of the later films of Woody Allen, such as Anything Else from 2003, which is about a struggling, up-and-coming stand-up comic. Except the film set in 2003, it seems, at least, when it's supposed to come out. I mean, it features cutting-edge modern music like Diana Krall. But at the same time, the comedy world in the film that the young guy played by American Pie's Jason Biggs is trying to break into is the comedy world of the 1950s and 60s that Woody Allen came up in. So... Yeah, that's another very clear case of when somebody, and Woody Allen is more insulated than most for obvious reasons, both kind of ostracised and needing to himself maintain a distance for his own sanity. Or comparable to another British, I suppose you can call J.K. Rowling a dramatist now, another British dramatist, David Hare, that's what's wrong with his social critiques in his work now, his last two BBC series. He doesn't understand how things work anymore. He doesn't <laughs> understand how the police work. He doesn't understand how the immigration system works. He doesn't understand how party politics works in this country. He did when he was writing about the Neil Kinnock era in the yeah, 90s. Sure. And this is an especially glaring quality in late era David Hare because his 90s British trilogy, which covers the political system, the legal system and the clergy, shows an extremely sophisticated analysis of essentially how Britain works. But, you know, at a certain point, you kind of get insulated from things. And, well, I mean, it doesn't always happen. You can stay in touch with what's going on. But if there is a danger that yeah, a society choice. will be effectively frozen in an image of how it was when you first got to the level that you have been at ever since. So then your drama becomes a weird combination of how the world was back when you were still part of it and this kind of surreal fiction that you perceive the modern day to be. Which honestly, that's like the problem with say all the, like not all, but like so many old politicians and stuff is... That they saw mm. the world one way when they were young, and then it just never changes. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a bias in human thinking 
that's inherently there for everyone and it's up to you to kind of overcome it. Well, just look at the Labour Party and the Democratic Party. They're both stuck in 1997 and 1992, respectively. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they can't conceive of a politics that works in a different way to the Blair or Clinton models. 100%, yeah. And so everything they do now is about getting back to that comfort zone. All this, let's heal America and... You know, unite everybody, and Trump has divided us so much. Like, mm. bullshit! We, we were divided in the Bush years and the Clinton years and the Obama years. I, I don't know any other years than those. This is some pretty extreme creationism from Yair here. He believes that he is God and that the world was created when he was born in 1993. But I'm pretty sure we were divided through most of them. Like, that's what I... happens. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Even in I've... people like to trot out Ronald Reagan and his fucking bullshit victories, like, because they were such like, yeah. electoral landslides. But if you look at the popular vote, it was, like, no more than a 10-point spread or so. Oh, man, <laughs> he, you know, he he won everyone from David Duke to Neil Young. <laughs> this was actually, Patterson Hood mentioned something on that Neil Young podcast that I forgot, which was that Neil's stated rationale for supporting Reagan was that he, like, supported Reagan's imperial realist aggression towards the panama canal just for some reason neil young was was just bizarrely uh <laughs> gung-ho when it came to the panama canal specifically why the fuck not foreign policy yeah i don't i guess that that was just like the newspaper article that neil happened to read and get impassioned about <laughs> right. was, by all accounts a pretty shitty time in his life when he was having to go through like 12 hours physical therapy a day with his disabled son yeah. maybe he was just in a bad mood <laughs> he was like he's got jimmy no he basically yeah he, he thought that jimmy carter had not defended america but yeah you're right i've seen this talking about america being divided now and stuff more than ever like you see this thing whenever anyone puts out an album of political material now they're all like you know i wrote these songs years ago but they're more relevant than ever um <laughs> And I, I'm just trying to think of, like, specific examples. So I'm not just ripping on liberals and left-leaning people with this stuff. <laughs> Going back to that Clint Eastwood interview I talked about, I thought it came across as such, like, a hollow, shallow question when Scott Cooper, the director who, who was chairing the conversation, said to Clint, like, so Richard Jewell, you know, a lot of it is about the media spreading lies and stuff, and I guess that's more relevant than ever. Um, and Clint was just like, yeah, yeah, it is, I suppose. And they both agree. And, and again, this is the thing I'm telling you about. The guy basically like just put questions to Clint and Clint agreed with them. He was right. like, so Clint, you think this? And he's like, yeah. Sort of like kind of, OAN as with Trump. I was just kind of thinking like, is the story of Richard Jewell being stitched up by the media in the late 90s more relevant than ever? I mean, like, it's still relevant. Don't get me wrong, but it didn't stop being relevant in in the, the interim it it feels hard to ascribe these kind of issues a specific era that they're relevant to i felt like that question although clint agreed with the interlocutor's premise i felt that they were almost talking across purposes because i feel like they were both thinking about fake news but i feel like scott cooper unless i don't know he happens to be a right winger 
in which he might be. I felt like he was thinking about, oh, like the Russians posting misinformation on Facebook. Mm. That's the equivalent of the mainstream media running a smear campaign against this innocent man who'd actually done something really heroic. <laughs> but I felt like Clint was thinking of the Clinton News Network and stuff. He was like thinking of the, the, yeah. the evil MS. <laughs> and he was like, I, fe- I felt like Clint was thinking, oh, they got even worse. They're always trying to pick sides in Charlottesville. And so- <laughs> I don't know. like, Because I think Clint said he didn't vote Trump in the last election. I think he did go off Trump because I think he just thinks he's a clown but I felt like they were both coming up with their own reasons basically as to why endemic social issues are worse now than they've ever been but they could agree yeah it's goddamn worse than it used to be in the good old days that's what they could see eye to eye on and yeah i've noticed this patterson hood and the guys from the long may young podcast were talking about how i think specifically it was about southern man and alabama are more relevant than ever um and i thought they're still they're absolutely still relevant but not more than ever i mean like let's just say like segregation in america has officially ended Uh, it hadn't really when neil wrote southern man and i think that we can be honest about the fact that these issues have been around for a hell of a long time and aren't going away yeah without i guess always trying to elevate the times that we're living in because i i saw that you actually saw this before Trump as well. Oh, yeah. You know? Definitely. Everything, everything would always be... Every, and maybe it's just something about, like, our media culture and our, or our, even our social media culture of wanting to be part of this conversation, part of this matrix. But there seems to be a real effort to, like, canonize whatever happens. Or You, you know, have to or... believe that what's happening right here, right now, is the best possible world to be in. Because otherwise you start questioning what could be. Yeah, there is stuff that's allowed to question, like, say, the government currently. But it can't flip the whole paradigm. It can just be, what about this other party in government? It takes very occasional radical revolutionary thinkers to get to that point. And they exist. And the free market enterprise, blah, 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 allows them to exist. (laughs) But they don't allow them to become the narrative in the way that the narrative is just what it is. Right here, right now, could maybe be a little better, but not, whoa, change everything, try something completely different. Think of, like, it's not such a big deal, I guess, in the UK, but in America, like, every fucker, left, right, whatever, will mention the Constitution. Why do I care about this document that was written by, like, a bunch of slave owners? Like, I don't give a Mm. fuck. Some of the things they wrote in the laws were, I guess, good enough, like freedom of speech, etc. But we shouldn't be afraid to completely overturn this 200-plus-year-old document that is so imperfect that we've amended it, I think, 27 times so far like so it was definitely not perfect to begin with there always seems to be this like hyperbolic rush to declare everything more relevant than ever yes Um, exactly and and i'm i'm just kind of like you know some things are just fairly timeless some you know Mm, some things were relevant once and they're relevant today any true student of history will tell you that it's not exactly cycles but you do notice some things Sometimes they're really important, sometimes they're not. But it comes and it goes, it ebbs and it flows, you know. Like, you'll see 
patterns by looking throughout history and you can't really say this is the most relevant now you gotta allow time to pass like you could say like genghis khan's mongols took over the largest land empire in world history because we've had time to compare it to other places and times Mm. and you can't say that right now is the most relevant x y or z because we haven't had time to see if it really is that relevant. When I was listening to Michael and us, they kind of touched on this, but there seems to be this rush in... They were talking specifically about film, but this is absolutely true of music as well. But in the film critical community, to canonise works and to say that this is the most timely and the most relevant thing. And it seems to be a way for writers to feel like they're uh, the centre of something. And, yeah. Um, <laughs> o- often, often it results in some really kind of... I mean, I know this is literally the name of a column on Stereogum, but some premature evaluations. People haven't really had time to think about something before they're like, this is the most profound statement on our times imaginable. Yeah, 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 yeah. It definitely is a huge amount to do with self-importance and a sort of participation trophy in history of like, I'm super relevant, I'm super important right here, right now. Yeah, absolutely. I I can I I don't know. I can see people like reviewing, say, a film we've talked about, In the Heat of the Night, a film that's very much about police racism, racism yeah. generally. I can see people saying like that's more relevant than ever. It's like no, you don't need to make that contortion. <laughs> it, it it is it is more relevant to the 1960s, Definitely. and it is still relevant despite that. <laughs> yeah. How is like, how you, can it not be more relevant within its own context? That doesn't make you, any you, sense. You can see parallels, but you don't need yeah. to project the present day political context onto every film, not even just films made in the past, but films made today. It's always this stuff like uh, Steven Spielberg makes The Post and it's more relevant than ever. And it's like, so we're all the films that have exactly the same message about how vital a free press is, not relevant prior to 2016 it seems seems that basically every film or work of art with a vaguely political message has been described as more relevant than ever (laughs) under trump like richard linklater's stupid flag shagging supposed sequel to the fucking the last detail the hal ashby film like I failed to see in what way that was the Trump parable that it was stated to be. I mean, it swapped out Vietnam for Iraq. Trump wasn't in fucking power during either of those. And it didn't have anything to say about either anyway. So let's take Boots Riley, the director of Sorry to Bother You, uh, which is a fantastic film. Boots wrote that film before Trump got elected, you know? He was shopping that script about for years. Everything addressed in that film was relevant prior to Trump, and it will be relevant after Trump. But that was very much typified as a kind of Trump-era film. Yeah, right. And that's unfair to it. That does it down. That's not a film that deserves to be seen as a time capsule because the class struggles and the racial struggles in it carry on, as the great song says. And, uh, And it also does it down as just what a funny film it is and what a good film it is and how it will still be relevant in 10 years' time. Not 
more relevant than ever. Just it's it's social cri- it's social criticisms are incisive enough that they will have staying power. I think totally. It came first, basically. <laughs> yeah, I guess what I'm thinking is if an artist writes an album full of songs addressing police brutality, racism, income inequality, the environment, perennial issues. Would it be less timely or less relevant if they released this when Barack Obama was US president? Or Bill Clinton? Or George W. Bush? Or George H. W. Bush? I don't think so. I think that these kind of issues are not going away. They never went away. And it's dangerous for people to try and create this inextricable link between singing about these things or addressing these things in one's work in whatever medium and them having to be a direct response to Donald Trump. Notice how Michael Moore didn't make a film for the entire time that Barack Obama was president. Did income inequality and racism and police brutality and uh, environmental destruction stop when Barack Obama was president? If there's a liberal administration, then I worry it will uh, muzzle people of liberal inclinations in making these criticisms that are correct. So I'll just wrap this argument up with a couple of instructive examples. Although I have a lot of respect for both artists, for two singer-songwriters of the band Uncle Tupelo, who split up a long time ago, but both of them have continued, I've got a lot more respect for Jay Farrar singing about left-wing issues throughout his career than Jeff Tweedy suddenly discovering that politics exists uh, (laughs) when Donald Trump becomes president. Jeff Tweedy recorded an album in collaboration with a left-wing singer-songwriter, Billy Bragg, of songs by one of the most famous communists in the Western world, Woody Guthrie, and consciously avoided all of Guthrie's political songs. Jay Farrar was singing about let's send this capitalist system to the darkest depths of hell back when Uncle Tupelo were still together and making albums that were against the Iraq war that talked about you know the drudgery of working class life I have a lot more respect for that really but the tragic thing is that I like Jeff Tweedy's Trump era albums and I think that the political album Union that Sun Kill sorry <laughs> Son Volt Jay Farrar's band put out last year was pretty ropey to be honest a lot of like uh, read some fucking Orwell kind of tunes and shit but I guess the last one would be I worry that political art has been totally rendered toothless for example like you know the old Birds member Chris Hillman put out a solo album in 2017 produced by Tom Petty the last record that Tom Petty would produce, obviously, because he died in 2017. And Chris Hillman said in an interview, Hillman, by the way, I think is a Republican, that, you know, it's going to have a bunch of covers of political songs because they are more relevant than ever. And I ask you, what really is the political utility of a Republican singing like the censored version of this land is your land to return to Woody Guthrie something that's not political art neither's the post neither's Richard Linklater's last flag fucking or whatever it's called and like maybe just before we go then I'll just mention Tenet Uh, what's that oh did I cut out no I just 
what I didn't hear what you the movie or show was. Tenet. T- Tenet. The Christopher Nolan film. Okay, I I, I don't know. I, I missed that. I haven't followed this at all. I'm got... honestly like, oh, I'm I'm so bad. Like if I don't see it on my tracker, and I don't check my tracker very often. Uh, I don't see it on Netflix or Hulu or something. I I, I, I don't hear from you. Then uh, <laughs> I'm the worst film podcaster. I don't do any like, like I, I research something that I may have already watched. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought you would have heard of this just because there was a lot of discourse around like the cinemas were opening again. This was basically the film that was going to save cinema. They were going to reopen the cinemas over the summer and Christopher Nolan's new movie I would get like everyone out there. Maybe I heard there. that mentioned, but like I don't really I don't know. I haven't thought about Christopher Nolan since I was like 21. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that's the case for a lot of people. Admittedly, I, I haven't that even That does seen sound like a familiar film. story, but well, was it any good? Well, Tenet, uh, nah, it's really, like, it's almost admirable, his kind of determination to just make something that's a bit like Inception. I was like, what what films does this remind me of? I was like, it's just a complete rehash of of Inception. (laughs) It's just just more of that. I couldn't get with it, man. It's just... What's the vague, like, summary, like, very briefly... Well, it's one of those things, but it's it, it's like Inception. I'm sure it's, it's quite too, epic in scope. It's not too complicated, but it's convoluted. To the yeah. Like, I didn't fully <laughs> understand how the time travel mechanism worked. Like, okay, it was a time travel it, thing. It, yeah, it's like they have to go back in time to, like, do stuff. <laughs> I love it. They've I love got, it. They've got it. I I broadly remember the plot. I'm just trying to some because there's various trips back in time that they have to do. Yeah. But like there's some there's some like hilarious like I am a Russian oligarch. I am a very evil man. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Russian played by fucking Kenneth Branagh. Is a ridiculous fucking performance it's got like the token michael kane cameo as well but he's barely in it um it's just literally like uh you know how still not dead yeah 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 it would always be like you'd have one for mike one of those for michael kane and one for morgan freeman and then morgan freeman got accused of sexual harassment and uh (laughs) hasn't been in the last two christopher nolan films who knows why but what apparently Aaron Taylor Johnson was in this film, uh, but I just find him like the most bland, indistinguishable actor, and I literally was not able to tell which character he was <laughs> in that film. Um, Great. Robert Patterson's cool in it. I always like. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, he was good, and uh, I mean John David Washington is is all right in the lead. I thought he was a little bit wooden, but yeah, it's just basically about like he's some like super secret spy who's got to save the world because the bad Russian oligarch has got cancer, and so the bad Russian oligarch is going to take this pill that blows up the world by connecting all these nuclear bombs around the world. <laughs> some, like, some fucking bullshit. They have to go a week back in time, basically, so that his wife can, like, 
shoot him and then they save the world. <laughs> it's so fucking dumb. It's Brilliant. it's an absolutely ridiculous movie. And the dialogue is so expository. It is embarrassing how they're just explaining the conceits to each other throughout the duration of the plot. Nolan is so bad at filming action. It's kind of astronomical that all the films he's most known for involve heavy amounts of action because it's not his forte it's right. real like confusing stuff when when he's uh, doing that shit just so flat and uneventful <laughs> sorry but the protagonist of the film is just called the protagonist <laughs> it's like uh, someone was watching walter hills the driver i think just like a, a really like naff film i watched it and just thought what a load of bollocks i mean i I, I don't know, maybe you'll like it, but I didn't. Uh, it sounds kind of like what I would have imagined, honestly, and probably why I didn't take it up any further when I did hear about it. Like I say, I haven't seen Dunkirk. I'm not really asked about war films. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems to me like Dark Knight Rises was maybe when he lost his way a bit, and it all became a bit forced after that he hasn't been able to recapture the magic and his films seem to be collapsing under the weight of their own importance especially interstellar which... yeah we went to see that together didn't we oh yeah and i was in a bad mood anyway and i just couldn't <laughs> i couldn't be understandable with enough it. sorry i don't mean to laugh no no it's all right i got what i deserved for uh it was not a very good film and i i don't i, I mean mood. i don't think i was super happy but i was not like in a terrible mood it was not a great film <laughs> no no and then yeah i didn't see his next one and then i was very disappointed by tenet i don't know like john david washington is pretty good and he was really good in black clansman good in some oh yeah monsters and men was a good film as well the old man with the gun pretty decent but he's denzel's son and it's just kind of like it's like when neil young is playing with promise of a real and i'm just like well, I could play just as good as these guys with you, but I guess I'm not Willie Nelson's son, so I don't <laughs> <mind. laughs> Yeah. Good, but nothing too special. It's not his fault that he's Denzel's son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't, I don't want to talk him down. And in defense of Promise of Real, they do seem to be genuine, hardcore Neil Young fans, so fair play to the guys if they love the music. Fair assessment. Yeah. Wonder if they smoke weed with their dad. Probably. <laughs> sure, why not? I know they smoke weed because Neil still smokes weed, and there's like, there's stuff in stories about them all like hitting a joint before they go back. Well, on why would you not? We're like this close to just everywhere being fully legal. I'm sure of it. Maybe over in in the United States. Over yeah. In in Britain, they're probably going to make cigarettes illegal next to something. <laughs> the war on drugs works, folks. Yeah, that does honestly sound like how it works there. Beautiful uh, stuff. Saw one, I saw one of those Blairite children saying how the war on drugs works the other day. And I was just like, fucking hell, man. Literally, this little kid who's nominally not right wing sounded like Peter Hitchens over here. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, well. Terrifying <laughs> stuff, terrifying stuff. Right. Should we uh, call it a day for, for now then? Yeah, sure thing. I, so, I'm so used to just doing it so casually, we don't even bother to like do intros and outros to the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Honestly, Sorry. I mean, it gets cut up into so many episodes. Like, yeah, exactly. Bye-bye, listeners. Bye-bye, Yair, as well. Bye, Jack. <laughs> Peace out. Peace. Let's go.
feel like rock and roll at all
Century open and shut, a sudden cancellation of our dreams. But you can cut all the flowers, so said Pablo Neruda. But you cannot stop the coming of the spring. Now it's a different kind of springtime, and tomorrow someone else is the past to cudgel beats. Whatever needs be learned From the bluest of blood To the humblest of birth At the second of Carthage They salted the earth Never scenes all taped off Let's hit pause upon the plot While a drunk detective deals with their divorce They're a spent investigator I'm sure you'd all agree But they always were a credit to the force But we just can't have another Go rogue in the same way So just behead each snake That slivers on your turf Regardless of status, regardless of worth At the second of Carthage, they salted the earth 
friends Struggling to understand why They've spent so long on the losing end There's a holy place in heaven you'll fly Now the Tiber is foaming like a rabid dog And the great thereafter's on the wane And the air is filled with a savage fog To obscure the sight of those that might fight again The smoke of funeral pyres rising up in spires But when the sun comes through won't be the last burst From a toffee no snob to the lowliest surf At the sacking of Carthage they salted the Second of Carthage, they salted the